Guys, we're so glad that you're with us, uh, whether this is your first time, whether you've been with us for years. Uh, thank you for coming. And let me be, again, for my second or third time, maybe uh, welcoming you and um, just saying we're so glad to have you here at Pomerado Christian Church, a place in which we want to help people get plugged into the people and the purpose of the church, a place in which we are not perfect people, but we are people who are being changed by God to make a change in this world. <coughs> And a place in which we recognize we are called to be witness, witnesses to who God is, what he's done, and how he loves. And, and like our church initials here at Pomerado Christian Church, plugged in, changed by, called to, or the initials PCC, hopefully it's easy for us to remember, and hopefully it's the calling that we will live out individually and as a church body. And so what I would like to do is have a moment of uh, prayer as we begin uh, the first sermon of this service, um, not that there's going to be two services. I meant a second service, yikes. Um, we're the first sermon of the year here in our second service. Um, I pray that God would uh, just speak and make it so clear why you specifically are here this morning. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you that you are here in this place. I thank you for each and every person here who has been formed by you, made by you. And <clears throat> Lord, I pray that you would um, speak to each and every one of them, Lord, that you'd make it so clear that whether they're in this room or whether they're listening online later, Lord, that you love them. And that the most important source of our identity that we will ever experience is to be a beloved child of yours. Lord, I pray that as we open up your word, that I would decrease, that you would increase, that you would speak in a powerful, personal, impactful way to each and every person that's here in this room or listening online later. And we thank you that you are with us and that your word is sharp and your word speaks to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if you've been with us for this season and Christmas, you recognize that uh, we have the gifts for Jesus that we just mentioned. Again, thank you all so much uh, for contributing to that. For those of you that, that made that call, uh, we're so thankful for you and for building God's kingdom of people who are making disciples, who make more disciples. That's the church. That's what they're doing. That's what we're doing. It's great to partner alongside with them. But if you were with us, you'd recognize that in the, the lobby over here, we had this box next to this uh, gifts for Jesus table and, and poster board that kind of shared everything about what was going on. And we use this box. Um, I don't know how many years we've had this box because this is my first year, but I know it's just a cool thing that it says gift for Jesus on the front. Uh, there is a, a little slot that people were able to give their money uh, that way in the past. Um, it's just something that we have as, as a visual that you've seen either this past few weeks or if you've been here for a while for, for a few years. And so I wanted to use this as a way to introduce our series to you for the next few weeks. Because, you know, it's wrapped up like a Christmas present. I remember this idea that we had, uh, growing up, I had a Christmas, you know, Christmas presents that one that I specifically really loved was, um, it was kind of one of those like, oh, should I open this yet? And they're like, my parents are like, no, not yet. I'm like, okay, I'll wait. And it ended up being the very last thing. It wasn't the biggest box but it was a very small piece of paper just folded like this. My parents were not rappers. Um, and it was just folded over, and inside of it was just a picture of a basketball hoop. And I was kind of like, what is that? They're like, go outside. So I go outside, and I see that the basketball hoop was set up, and it was one of those where our, our um, driveway became a place where uh, neighborhood kids would come and be able to play. It was, just, it was such a blast. I loved that. It was this whole idea of like, here's a gift for you, but don't open it yet. Not yet. But what's the flip side of that? What's the flip side? What would it be like if my parents would have said, hey, can I if I say, can I open that gift? They say, no, not yet. 
And then all the gifts are done, and, and I'm like, okay, well, can I open up now? And they say, no, not, not yet. And then we have our Christmas dinner, and, and what about now before dessert? No, not yet. A day passes. Weeks pass. Months pass. Years pass. And, and there's a gift, a box, a gift underneath the tree that, can I have it now? It says, not yet. Our series over the next few weeks is picture this idea that we have a gift for Jesus. We have things in our lives as people who follow Jesus that we say, Lord, I'm going to start doing these great things for you. But instead of being like our parents who just give it right away, they say, I'm going to give that to you, Lord. I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to say this for you. I'm going to be like this for you, but not yet. And not because they're building anticipation, but because we're trying to hold on to our will, our way, our timing, and the way we want things. Lord, I, I will go on a mission trip, but not yet. Let me make sure that my, my career is settled. Lord, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and, and I'm going to give more, but let me make sure I get that right promotion first. Lord, so I could give you more. So I, I'll give to you, but, but, but not yet. Or Lord, I'm going to be able to, to talk about people with Jesus. I'm going to serve locally. I'm going to do these great things, but, but not yet because I still have some work to do in me. And you know, I want to control the way that I want to do things. And so instead of it being in a box of not yet that is affirming and encouraging because it's anticipating something great, it's a box of not yet's because we are holding on to things that we ought to be giving to Jesus. But we say to him, not yet. And we're going to investigate and unpack those boxes, pun fully intended. Uh, we're going to unpack those boxes over the next several weeks together. But as we begin, the one that we wanted to start our year off with was that I'm, I will share my faith with others, but not yet. That, that we've talked in this, the Resetting the Tables series in November uh, about this, the idea that you are witnesses, one of the feasts, we studied about that, and, and the different thresholds of how it is that we walk alongside people in their journey from being far to God and near to God. And so you can listen to that if you want to be reminded of it. We, we talked about the idea of being called to be witnesses through the Youth Takeover Weekend in August through our We Are the Church series. We, we talked about what does it mean to... to change our neighborhoods through the power of a witness. And we talked about that back in April. I mean, we've talked about this idea of sharing our faith, but the truth is, is that we don't need another sermon on why we should do it. Because we often know that. What we need is just to be able to navigate what that looks like, how that looks like. And so today we're going to talk about the box of not yet. So I'll share my faith, but Lord, not yet. I'm not ready. I'm not smart enough. I'm not capable enough. I'm not equipped. I'm not perfect yet. So how are people going to trust? Lord, I'll do the thing you've called me to do, but not yet. And so, you know, we're in the season. We're in the season of new beginnings. We're in the season of having um, New Year's resolutions. If some of you have New Year's resolutions, awesome. If you guys have kept them already after six days, even better. Um, but maybe it's one of those things where we want to make our lives better this year. And, and we have a chart up here, of a photo of the top 10 um, New Year's resolutions. And we're not going to read all of them, but, you know, some of them are getting healthier, eating better, uh, exercising more, um, not drinking as much, I think, is on there. I think there's ideas of, you know, making a new hobby, a hobby uh, meeting new people. I mean, there's lots of things, being better financially and spending our money better and being better stewards. Excuse me, that there are so many different things that are up there. And you might look and say, 
If you can read that, you might say, oh, okay, that's one of mine. Or you might say, oh, that ought to be one of mine. But this is what the top 10 resolutions were for the year 2019. But we also know that, we joked about it earlier, that there are times where those resolutions, we want to be strong, we want to do something, and then shortly thereafter, maybe they last a week, a month, maybe they last half the year, and, and for a few, it works all the way through, and that is awesome to make your life better and improve and resolve to do that. But our main point this morning is that if we are to keep one resolution this year, in your notes, it says, if we keep one resolution this year, may it not be just to make our lives better, our own lives better. May it be to make Jesus better known in the lives of others. May it not just be to make our lives better, to improve our health. Yes, we should do that. To be better with serving people and being selfless. Yes, we should do that. To be able to be more caring and build relationships and mend broken ones. Yes, we should do that. To be able to give more or even just to save and to be able to give. Yes, we should do that. Improving our lives are a good thing. We want to keep growing and becoming more like Christ. But if we're going to have one resolution that we're going to keep, may it not be just to make our own life better. May it to make Jesus better known in the lives of others. And so, like I mentioned earlier, the first note that you have under there is this idea that we know we should, we know why, sorry, we know why we should share our faith. If I were to take the next 20 minutes to, to show you uh, passages and reasons as to the why, a couple things will happen. One, you might be like, oh, well, I just heard this before. And so you're like, I don't really need to listen. Two, you might think of, well, I, I want to, but I don't know how. Three, you might just say, this guy's running out of material. He's not even been here for a year yet. What are we going to do? Or some of you might be overwhelmed with guilt that we don't do this more often. And, and then what happens is, some of the progression that happens is that if we feel guilt towards not sharing our faith, then whenever it gets talked about, we, we, we shrink in shame. So this guilt can become shame and feel like, oh, I'm not a good Christian, I'm not a good person, I'm not a good... And then shame, all too often, leads to silence. And then when we're in our place of silence, we're not growing, but people around us aren't hearing who Jesus is. So we need to stop that right now. We need to stop the progression and say, okay, we know why we should. But let's not fall into the guilt, into the shame, into the silence. And if we know why we should, let's talk about it for a couple moments, then let's talk about the how, and let's talk about the who. So, from the very beginning in your notes, we see that Jesus' call was not just to follow him. The call to the disciples wasn't just follow me. It was follow me. That was absolutely a huge thing. That meant everything to them because they had found their identity, not in being beloved child, children of God, but... People found their identity in their position, in their job, in their role in life. And so as fishermen, it showed they were not good enough to be disciples or rabbis or disciples of rabbis. And so they would have found their identity as being lacking, less than, or wanting. I wonder if that sounds familiar to us, finding our identity in what we do rather than in whose we are. But we look at this idea that the call wasn't just to follow him it was that, but it was more. So we look at Luke chapter 5, and I'm not going to read the whole passage this morning, but when he calls his first disciples, it's the story in which it's, the disciples are out on the water, they come back in after fishing, Jesus says, hey, throw your nets over the side, and 
And they say, you know, well, we've already fished, but because you say so, uh, I'll do that. They get a huge catch of fish. And it says in verse 6 that when they'd done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they'd taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. So then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. They cast their nets. So they pulled their boats up on shore. They left everything and they followed him. But we see that it's not just to follow Jesus, that it's not enough for us to say, okay, I've, I've figured out the Jesus thing, I've figured out the salvation thing, and now I'm just going to sit in my comfortable chairs and my comfortable life. That's as, it's like a warm, comfortable blanket on a cold January morning when we're not even sure if we want to go to church. It's these moments that we have to extend beyond that level of it's comfortable for us to be able to stay where we are. But following him doesn't say, stay where you are. It's follow me, come with me, and go where I tell you to go, share with whom I want you to share, say what I want you to say, serve who I want you to serve, love who I want you to love, even if you don't always agree with them. And we see here that it's not just a call to do that, but in the notes there, it says the call was to follow him and also to be fishers of men. To be the kind of people that were looking at those far from God and would catch them and would bring them into a right relationship with God. That it's a reminder to us that the very first thing that Jesus said to his disciples after they said, we want to follow you. He didn't let the calling of the first disciples pass by without reminding them or telling them rather what their purpose is. It's not to follow him and to get status. It's not follow him to say, I've crossed off the Messiah box or crossed off the Jesus box. They followed him. Why? Because soon they would be fishers of men. They would find people far from God and bring them near to God. They would proclaim that the kingdom of God was at hand. They would share the love that God had for people, even those that felt left out, felt wanting, felt lacking, felt that their identity were in anything else. And so it's to be fishers of men. So we see that in, in Luke 5, 10. But then we also see the idea in Matthew 28 in the good, or sorry, the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. So then Jesus came to him and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. But the very first thing he says to his disciples when he calls them is, you'll be fishers of men. The very last thing he says to his disciples as he's ascending is, keep reaching out. Go, baptize, make disciples, teach, and guess what? I'll be with you. Book ends the ministry is the call to be fishers of men and women and children, those far from God, to bring them near to God. So we don't need to go any further for the time that we have remaining and the why we should work, uh, share with him because we get that. But we don't, in your notes, always know how. We don't always know how to share. There's some certain roadblocks that often come up when it comes to sharing our faith. That 
One of the things that we're going to see in the this, in this series in March in a couple months is we're going to go through a series called Share Your Style. And Share Your Style is this idea of learning through Mark Middleberg and Lee Strobel and some people who did Coming a Contagious Christian. They talked about how there are six different evangelism styles, that not all of us are the ones that are going to be in, this, in the realm of colleges and academia and, and debating somebody. Not all of us are going to be the ones that have to have all the answers all the time for every question that ever comes up. Not all of us have to fit into the cookie cutter that we, not as Pomerado, but we as the Christian church, elevate certain styles of evangelism and say, that's the way to do it. But if that was the only way to do it, then we would all be equipped that way because God wants people to know him. And so if there are if God has put you in your schools, in your workplaces, in your neighborhoods, in the restaurants that you go to all the time, to the servers that you see, the baristas you see, to the people in this ki your kids' teams and the parents that you encounter, God wants you to reach out to them in the style that he's created you to reach out to them. And we'll talk about those six styles coming up in a few months, but it's not about one way to do it, but we feel like we don't know how to do it because we run into two, often two different dynamics that we struggle with. What we do is we think we either have to be perfect or we have to know the answers to every question to share with people. So how do I do it? Well, I, I have to be perfect first. So I can't share with someone because the person I want to share with, maybe they're my sister, maybe they're my brother, maybe they're my parents, maybe they're my kids, and they know my junk. They know how I mess up. They know how I fall short. So how am I going to share with them? Because they're just going to call me out or call me a hypocrite or whatever it is. So let me, okay, God, I will share with them, but not yet. Not until I get things figured out. Not until I become perfect. And none of us will ever be perfect. So if we are waiting for perfection to reach an imperfect people to bring them to God's perfection, then that is an imperfect plan at best. And it's an excuse at worst. But instead, we know that we are being perfected. We are being changed by God. We are not perfect people, but we are being changed by God to make a change in this world. Because God, looking at the story of the Bible and all the men and women that we hear about and we elevate on pedestals, none of them were perfect. They lied, they stole, they cheated, they killed. They did wrong things. And so if God uses imperfect people then, then God can surely use imperfect people like you and like me now. So some of us think we have to be perfect before we share. The other ones of us think that we have to have all the right answers, that if someone asks me a question, I don't know what I'm going to say, and then they're going to not believe, or they're going to fall short, and then they're going to laugh at me, I mean, whatever it is, and we think that because we don't have the right answers, that we're ill-equipped to share. Now, should we keep growing in our faith and learning? Absolutely. Should we learn different things so that we could reach a multitude of type of people? Absolutely. But if we think that the only way to reach people is to be all knowledgeable, we recognize how many, this isn't for a, raise, a show of hands, but I know for me, I had heard about Jesus, but just knowing that Jesus was real, intellectual knowledge was not enough for me to have a heartfelt change. Some people it is, and that is awesome because that means that God is using certain people to reach them. But if we think that's the only way to do evangelism is to have all the answers, then we're asking the wrong questions. 
How has God made you to be an evangelist, to share this, your story, to share what God has done in your context and the truth of, the God, of God's word? So we see here in John chapter 9 that we don't need to have all the answers, and it's a freeing verse. That John chapter 9 is when a man was born blind, he was healed by Jesus, and then immediately he's put into questioning by the Pharisees. Well, what happened? Well, he healed me. Well, how did he do it? Well, this is how he did it. Then his parents come in. They bring his parents in, which is embarrassing. And they just say, well, is this your son? He's like, yeah, that's our son. But they didn't want to get in trouble. So they go, well, I don't, I don't know what happened, but he is our son. So I don't know. So they ask him again, how did he do it? He's like, I told you already. Well, was this man a sinner? And they're asking question after question after question. And this is a beautiful response in verse 925. It says, he replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. I hope that those first three words of his response frees us from this dilemma here, this idea that we have to have all the answers. And he says, I don't know. I don't have all the answers. I can look them up for you if that's what you want. Here's what it boils down to. People will try to use intellectual reasonings or rationalizations as an excuse to not have to make a heartfelt change because it's easier to do that. So if they say, well, here are all the answers, and we say, well, I don't know, then for some people that'll be just, okay, well, then that's it. But when people get beyond the fact that Jesus is truth, so if you dive into intellectual questions about him, you're going to find that he is the way, the truth, and the life. There is no question about that. But people will use that as a barrier because they're trying to guard their heart. And so if you just say, listen, I don't know all the answers. Here's what I do know. I once was lost. Now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. I once was broken, but God made me whole. And we see in these three sentences that this man gives a succinct, a powerful, and a God-honoring testimony that we could all model our lives after. That if we could boil it down into our John 9, 25 testimony, man, I don't know everything, but this is what I know. This is what God has done in my life. And because of that, I believe. And so we don't need to have all the answers. And so in fact, in reality, if you look at your notes, we don't have to be perfect we have to be available. We have to be available and we need to know the answer to the most important question. Who is Jesus? Again, we don't have to be perfect because none of us are perfect. So what God is looking for are available people that are willing to step out. And if he knows that some of us are available and he knows that God, that God knows that someone is in need, have we not seen divine appointments come to fruition? But what happens if someone's in need, but someone over here who knows the Lord isn't available because they're not perfect, don't have the answers, and they're not open? Then this person just keeps in their loneliness, in their lack of comfort, in their brokenness, and this person stays comfortable. And we see a world that falls down because of it. So if you, there's two quick, real quick rules that, that I've uh, I heard recently as that kind of reminders or rules of 10. The first rule of 10 is the idea of just being 10% more friendly with people. Now, I know some of you are engineers. You say, well, normally I only say 10 words at a time, so I'm just going to add 10%, 11 words. Awesome. Um, what we mean is the idea of being able to be friendly. Go into, if you go to the same Starbucks, the same restaurant, 
Look at the baristas or the server's name tags and start calling them by name. When someone is going in line and you're trying to wait to just get coffee and you just talk to each other. Because in a world of chaos and hurry and rush and hustle and bustle, when someone takes the time to acknowledge other people, that can be an open door. That could be an opportunity. It doesn't mean that, hey, how are you doing, can automatically immediately lead to a salvation call, but what if it did? And what if all it took was us being 10% more friendly? And then another rule of 10 is this idea that give, give a conversation, especially if you're like a picture like when you're on an airplane, right? And there's kind of like, we hear so many stories of pastors who have these awesome tales of when they're able to share with somebody, they're sitting next to them, that God just orchestrated that so clearly that that person needed exactly what was there. And they have a four-hour plane flight. And from the beginning, they were questioning everything. And by the end, they've given their lives to the Lord. I mean, we've heard these awesome stories. That has not been my story. I've tried to do that. I've tried to, to talk to people. And I, even after hearing these ideas, I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll give it 10 minutes. And so what you do is you give a 10-minute window. That if someone is engaging you in a conversation, then you could go a little bit deeper. But I remember going on a plane flight after reading some of this or learning some of this, and it was this idea of saying, you know, okay, I'm going to be available. I'm going to give 10 minutes. And so I'm talking to the guys like, oh, you know, I work in Atlanta. I'm construction's got a helmet on. I'm just kind of asking them some questions. And then like just a few minutes into it, I'm, I'm on the window. He's in the middle. He just kind of looks over and he's like, I'm going to watch Marvel movies. I'm like, fine. Um, and it's what I would do. I don't be like, I don't tap his shoulder like 30 minutes into the movie and be like, psst, did you know Jesus is the real superhero? Like, that's not what you do in that moment. <laughs> what you do is you just say, okay, God, I'm available. If you want to do something, I give you my mouth to speak the truth in love. I give you my hands to reach out to those. I give you my feet to go where you have me go. I, and please give me your heart so that I can see the brokenness of those who are far from God. Be available, not perfect, and not having all the answers, but having the answer of who is Jesus. And we see this in 1 Peter 3, verse 15, that says, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. So who is Jesus? Jesus is Lord. But then always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Be ready. Be available. Not perfect, available. And submit and surrender to what God might use or how he might use you. And so just saying, maybe it's writing out a John 9, 25 testimony sometime. Listen, I don't know all the answers. But for me, I don't know all the answers. But what I do know is that I was depressed and suicidal and God has given me hope and life and light. And he's taken the darkest moments of my life to be a light to other people and recognize that God is in the business of taking the darkest moment of all of history, Good Friday, and he brings it into the brightest moment in all of history, Easter Sunday. So I don't know all the answers, but I do know what God has done. What would it look like for you to have a John 9:25 testimony? Three sentences that can summarize, not everything, not all the details, but can be powerful, succinct, but God-honoring as you share. And then lastly, as we close, lastly, we don't always know. We know the why we should. We, we don't always know the how, but we need to go through that and we'll have a whole series on that coming in March. But we also don't know with whom we should share because we have this dynamic that happens that maybe for some of us, we have family members who don't know the Lord. And then there's this really tough thing of like, okay, 
How do I have this conversation with them? Because if something goes wrong, then all of a sudden, you know, our family has this huge division. God, I don't want to be divisive. So I, I, I'm not, I don't want to entertain this. And so that's tough. That's a real thing to navigate. I'm not, I'm not dismissing that. That is a real thing to, to pray through God. How do you want this to happen? But then we also see that this truth that the longer we follow Jesus, in your notes, the longer we follow Jesus, the fewer people we know who don't follow him. The longer we follow Jesus, the fewer people we know who don't follow him. And that's not even, that's not a malicious thing. That's just as part of the people who come to know Jesus. We, we want to get involved in our church. That's a great thing. So we have small groups. And that's a beautiful thing that we want you to be. Sunday school, small groups, Bible studies. We want that to happen. But then maybe you have small groups and then maybe you want to serve. And so that there's some more time that goes out on the weekend that you're not able to do that or whatever it is. And it's, it's well-intentioned and it's good for us to do that. But we should not make those things mutually exclusive. It's not that we only come into a community with people who don't know, or sorry, a community of other people who know Jesus at the extent that we don't even try to get to know anyone outside of that bubble. Because in my own life, I, I work in a church, so everyone that I work with knows the Lord. Um, I have, our daughter goes to a Christian school currently. Uh, my wife, she stays home. She's an awesome homemaker and wife and, and mother. And so it's not like she has a workplace through which she can get to know people who don't know the Lord. We have just our community being part of a church. It's, it's your coworkers, it's your community, it's your relationships, it's everything when you're on staff at a church. And so it becomes where you're surrounded by Christians. And let's be honest, sometimes that is so comforting. It's so nice sometimes just be like, listen, we are all of the same accord and this is a beautiful thing and we should still seek that. But it means in the same way that each of us had to face the decision of getting out of our warm blanket today to get out into the cold and go about God's business. We also have to have times where we get out of the comfort of what's easy in the Christian bubble and to go out into maybe what might be a potentially cold world, a dark world, a difficult world, but to go about the work that God has for us. And it's not always easy and it's not comfortable, but it's our calling. And so we get to this point where we say, How, who do I share with? I look around and say, who is it that I can reach to or whatever it is? And we have these questions. And because here's what happens is that if you were here with us for Christmas Eve, you saw that we had uh, the candle lighting at the end, right? And so it's just this beautiful moment when, when a room is dark, when, when windows are out, lights are off, and you have a candle. It's just it's this beautiful thing that stands out. It brings light. It, it's just this incredible thing that happens because it's a light in a dark place. Now, if I were to walk around and I just had a lit candle with me right now with all the lights on, it would be cool. It would be nice, but it's not going to show people the way. It's not going to be giving that same hope. It's going to be a nice thing that happens. It's a nice thing that's here. Maybe in your homes you have a well-lit room and then you have a candle that smells good. Like, that's awesome. It's a fragrant aroma. That's good. But what happens is that if we are always in a world surrounded with other people that are the light of the world, if we're only always with people who are with God, then it's like we have a candle that is lit and there's already so many lights around. They say, well, then what's the point of mine? Then we blow it out. We put it under a bushel basket. We hide it behind our clothes in our closet. And we say, God, if you really need me, I'll, 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 I'll bring that out again. But if we are a light in a dark place, 
There's so much power and hope and life that comes when we're able to be a light to people, to show people who Jesus is. And so, yes, stay with people in community who know Jesus, but don't do that to the exclusion of finding people who don't and being intentional about doing that. So we're getting Shaylin, uh, she's been involved in Girl Scouts as a way to try to get to know people, not just for the cookies, but it's nice. But we're trying to get this idea of getting to know people who are outside of a church bubble. There's other areas in which we're trying to figure out how to do that, but we have to be intentional because as we've said, there are five things that you want your church to be great at, or you want your life as a Christian to be great at. And we say evangelism is one of the five. If we don't make evangelism first, then evangelism will naturally slide to fifth because we'll go about doing good things and it'll be good to do those, but we can't lose the fact that Jesus is calling, the first thing he said was to be fishers of men to reach those. The, the last thing he says is to go out and make disciples, to be disciples who make disciples like we saw from Mike and Danelle Bukta. I mean, we see this call everywhere. So the longer we follow Jesus, the fewer people we know who don't follow him. And we see John chapter one, I'm not going to read it, but when Andrew finds out, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, finds out who Jesus is, all it says is that he was able to, he just went and he said, listen, we found the Messiah. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother and tell him, we found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. It's not about trying to evangelize the whole world all at once. It's trying to find one person you can share what God has done in your life now. That it could be overwhelming in your notes, the last note, to try to reach the whole world. So what if we focused on sharing our faith with just one more. That Optic Youth, our, our middle school and high school ministry, has, has done this thing this school year where their goal was to have one more conversation each week, one more conversation about Jesus, whether it's a text, whether it's in class, whether it's uh, with family or friends, whatever it may be, but to have one more conversation because sometimes, like with Andrew and Simon Peter, all it took was that one conversation for Andrew to say, I want to share the whole world. I want everyone to know who Jesus is. I'm going to share with one person. And that one person became the cornerstone of the church, the, 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 the rock upon which the church had been built, according to Matthew 16. And so sometimes that one conversation can change the course of people's lives for all eternity. And so with Optic Youth, they've been doing this. And so what they do is that they have these, these uh, dynamics in which they bring out every time there's a conversation, they have a box. Just says one more on the front, but what this does is it serves as a tangible, visible reminder to do it, but an opportunity to thank God for what he's done by having just these one more types of conversations. And Dan, they've been doing this since the beginning of the year. I wish I could say that we plan it to be a box for the box of not yet. So that is just God is good. Um, but it's just this idea of one person just shares, you know, I was talking to a friend and he was talking about um, life and school. And so I told him about youth group and he was willing to try it. He came and he tried coming to church. Again, it's not a revolution. It's not like brand new. Everything's changed in that person's life, but that's the first step. Being able to tell people about Jesus and what God has done is the first step. This one talks about a mom who had a conversation with someone and the mom and this person had a conversation with someone and just what it meant to be a Christian. What does the life look like? What is their faith and what do they believe? It's one more conversation. It's one more thing 
that can open up a door to change eternity for that person. And then lastly, we have one here that talks about the fact that it was a friend who was during a, during, there was the, the students have a wristband to say one more on it. If you've seen these black rubber wristbands that say one more on it. And someone at their, this person's school saw the wristband and asked about it. So they started to talk a little bit about uh, Optic Youth. We kept on going back and talking. And eventually she didn't know, this person who asked questions didn't know what to say. She, she got to a point where she didn't even know what it was that she believed. And then she told me that she was forced to think about a lot of things because of what that person was sharing with them. And this person who wrote this just said, you know, that they had a moment where this woman, this girl was forced to think about it. And this person who shared just said, I think you should think about it, what it means to become a Christian. And the, the, the girl who said, yeah, but there'd be a lot of people who'd be mad if I became one. Because there's areas in which people are upset about the gospel because it's exclusive and it causes us to have a heartfelt change. So we build up these intellectual walls that separate us from what God might want to do. So these are just three examples. There's dozens more, but it's this idea of just one more conversation, just one more thing. And if we are available, we recognize we don't need to be perfect. We don't need to have all the answers. But if we are available with our John 9, 25 message, we know how, and God will bring the who, and we could be intentional about investing in other people that God might bring in our path. Because if you and I did this, again, this is a resolution that we could make. That yes, we could go out and you could have your lunch after service today and you could go to the same restaurant you always go and you could get to know that person and who knows if that one more conversation is something that would change that person's life. Who knows if that's going to change someone's life who's overhearing it and not even that person, but God might use you to have an impact. If we're to make one resolution this year that we were to keep, yes, we could improve our own lives. But if we're going to have one resolution that we were to keep, may it not be just to improve our own lives, may it be to make Jesus better known in the lives of others. Because if you're like me, my weight gain, it fluctuates up and down. Spending habits can ebb and flow. Eternity and someone finding a relationship with Jesus for eternity does not go up and down. It does not ebb and flow. It is forever. We can have a forever impact if we're available to see what God would have and not feel the guilt and shame to hide, but to be available for where God might find us. Lord, we thank you so much for this morning. Lord, I pray that you are just speaking to people right now, that you're encouraging, you're challenging, you're bringing up people's names of of who we might want to reach. God, I pray that you would just work in an incredible way. in the lives of your people. Father, I pray that we would be not buy into the lie that we have to be perfect, that we wouldn't buy into the idea that we have to have all the answers, but Lord, that we would be available for what you have. Because Lord, you love using imperfect people who are available to you to do your work and to bring people far from you into a right relationship with you. May we be those kind of people this day, this year, this lifetime. We love you. In your son's holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Will you stand with me? And as you stand, as we get ready to sing, I just want to ask you, for those of you who have a relationship with God, during this last song, we sing out the song, Your Name. 
I want to ask you to ask the Holy Spirit who might be the name of someone in your life who needs to call upon the name of our good God. So pray about that. We're going to have a few more moments together after the song, but let's sing together. Pray that the Holy Spirit would reveal, and then let's respond to God through singing as we do this. So before we go, I have a question and an action. The question is for us is just think about, not to take a lot of time, but just to think about what is one of the main things that we will not be able to do in heaven that we could do here? Because we're going to be able to sing songs together like we just did. I mean, the scripture's full of times where they're singing praises at the throne room. We're going to be able to, to have community with one another for eternity. We're going to be able to learn the scripture, maybe even ask the authors, like, what did you mean by that? Like, we're going to be able to have some of these things that are awesome. But what is one of the main things that we cannot do in heaven that we can do here on earth? Reach those who are far from God and don't know him. To seek and to save the lost. To be fishers of men. Because when we're up there, when we're in heaven, everyone around us will be able to sing the same songs of praise to Jesus together. But this encourages us and challenges us that that's why we're here. To be fishers of men and women and children. To, to be able to bring hope where there is none and bring those far from God near to God. So what's one thing we can do in heaven that we hear that we can't do in heaven to reach those far from God. The action is that for some of us, maybe the Holy Spirit was so clear with the name of the person that they, that, that he wants you to reach. And as you know, here at our church, we wear name tags every single week. And it's a way to just remind us. It helps us to get to know one another. It helps us to kind of show that we're part of this, whether you're a guest and this is your first time or whether you've been with us for, for a while. It's part of it. We're here together. We're all in here uh, at the same time together this morning. And so what I'm going to ask as a call to action is that if the Lord puts someone's name on your heart, out right here on the greeting table as you walk immediately to your right, we just have these blank name tags. And the idea behind this is that you would write down the name of the person that God has put on your heart. And you would put this in your Bible. You would put this in your car as you're driving. You would put this wherever you would see it to be praying for that person, to be praying for the opportunities, to be praying that God would give you the words. And then how beautiful of a moment would it be if you had the opportunity that they would come into right relationship with God and that you could go ahead and show them, listen, I've been praying for you all year. Mm -hmm that you truly are, as we say here often as a church, you could tell them you are prayed for, cared for, and loved before you ever walked into this room. And then they too would be able to then be people who share that hope with others. But if God puts someone's name on your heart, you could grab the name tag there, take that with you, have that be a challenge. I know I gave you rocks last week. I'm not just going to give you stuff all the time, but when the moment arises, we'll, we'll, we'll follow into that. Um, if you have questions about the events, there's things outside there. If you need prayer, whether about this or something else, um, I'll be up front, and I know we have other people that would love to come alongside you in prayer as well. Thank you all so much for coming. Happy New Year, and we'll see you next week as we continue our series of The Box of Not Yet's.